today on Ag News Daily. On beans, we've been the cheapest beans in the world, whereas on corn, we've been the most expensive in the world. So two totally different situations. But I'll tell you what, you go to add much more cost there, and it's certainly going to impact not only corn, but beans as well. Good afternoon, listeners. October 3rd. Wow, it's October already. Monday, October 3rd version of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner Winterhoff joined by Delaney Howell. October, Delaney. Can you believe it? No, but I'm ready for all things pumpkin spice, Tanner. Really? I didn't think of you as being a pumpkin spice person. When you talked that you didn't like coffee last week, I guess pumpkin spice doesn't have to only mean a latte, does it? No, it can mean a pumpkin bread. It can mean pumpkin rolls. There's lots of things. Yeah. Are you any good at making those or you just oh, like Oh, yeah. Them? Oh, no. Didn't you ask me this one time on an interview that I like to bake because you dug up uh, dirt? That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. There was only like two things that your mother made well. And that's what recipes you also had <laughs> uh, stowed away. I but I make more that. than two things well. I make lots of things well. But yes, pumpkin flavored <laughs> things are definitely towards the top of my list. Oh, that's good. That is really good. Well, let's jump right into the news for today, Delaney. Unfortunately, still talking about hurricanes. Hurricane Ian now has estimated causing a expected $47 billion in insurable losses. That comes from Belfer Holdings and CEO Sheldon Yellen, as she told, or as he told CNBC, there is some criticism now being in place that Lee County, Florida did not get evacuated or receive an evacuation notice soon enough. Typically, the weather forecast models are 72 hours in advance. The county where Fort Myers is located that took the brunt of Ian's landfall last week was not in the cone 72 hours prior to the hurricane hitting. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, as well as FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Administrator Deanne Criswell are saying that they would have issued an evacuation sooner had they thought Lee County was going to be in the past. So it sounds like Hurricane Ian Delaney took a little bit of a turn. So even though forecasts typically come 72 hours in advance, a lot of criticism is now being casted as to why that portion of Florida was not evacuated sooner, just due to the difficulty of getting people out of Florida. Yeah, Tanner, that's interesting that they're receiving a lot of criticism due to that. I mean, however, if I were in their shoes, I'm not sure I would have made a much better call. Yeah, if you if the data is accurate, it's reported in that article that the storm shifted a path and and it was not Lee County within that cone. It's hard to evacuate a place that is not within the area of the storm when there potentially could be other cities that need the evacuation worse. Yeah, absolutely. But keeping in line here with some weather related news here, the uh, wheat crop, U.S. wheat crop, Tanner, is officially the smallest wheat crop we've seen in 20 years due to the drought in the plains, according to the USDA. This is really crazy to think about, Tanner, as we consider other factors going on right now in the worldwide market with Ukraine likely to have a fairly small 
crop. France, Australia, some of those other areas are also having some weather-related issues. And it leaves more uncertainty about the world's wheat supply, which could in turn uh, create some interesting dynamics, Tanner, in the marketplace. But we're watching Ukraine continue to try to push product out as much of it as they have. But just interesting to note that we are the smallest in 20 years, because typically, Tanner, we're having conversations about how much wheat there is in the world. This year is the opposite story. Right, correct. Sometimes it's considered the cheaper option for feedstuffs because of how much we have for supply. Well, I'm going right back onto the hurricane side of things, Delaney. Uh, remember when Hurricane Fiona was about in the middle, early part of September, Fiona hit Puerto Rico. And now they still have nearly 120,000 homes and businesses without power. Also, don't forget that that was a unique storm path because after hitting the Puerto Rican islands and Dominican Republic, Fiona turned north and slammed into eastern Canada on September 24th, leaving a third of Nova Scotia without power. So those are still working on getting things fixed. Nova Scotia. Scotia is reporting that they have 24,500 customers that are still without power. That is down from nearly 60,000 last Friday. So that was good news as they start to rebuild. But we have another hurricane, Orlean, that is a little bit smaller. It is considered right now a Category 1 hurricane. It made landfall on the southwestern side of Mexico this morning. It has basically just provided heavy rain and strong winds. Uh, it looks to die out of the hurricane status here, hopefully mid to late afternoon. Again, Category 1 storms are up to 75 mile per hour winds. This is the 15th named storm during hurricane season, but we need to be careful as we look out into a tropical disturbance headed towards the Caribbean islands, Delaney. So we may not be out of this. Right now, about 700 miles east of the southern Caribbean islands, the atmosphere is creating two more disturbances. Disturbance number one has a 40% chance of developing into a hurricane. Disturbance number two has a 70% chance. Now, it is on the far side of the Atlantic right now. It looks like it will develop into a tropical depression. And if it stays on track, it will be headed this way. And if it becomes a hurricane, it will get the name Julia. So crazy weather that we've had. I didn't realize until we started reporting on these that it was hurricane season. But it certainly looks, Delaney, like it is hurricane season fully in fact. It certainly does, Tanner. And switching tracks here to talk about OPEC-related news. OPEC Plus is once again considering reducing output by more than a million barrels per day to support the oil market. That would be the largest cut since the pandemic. And some members are suggesting that the there may be additional cuts, although in truth, many members are struggling to even come close to their current quotas, which is interesting then that they're considering further reductions. But OPEC Plus missed its July quota, for example, by more than 3 million barrels per day due to production capacity issues. And this uh, certainly could impact the energy balance sheet, Tanner. Yeah, that uh, will be another interesting one for us to follow as to 
how we can get that balanced out. But looking like the Supreme Court has some new issues to balance on their own. Monday today started the first day of the Supreme Court's new term, and the justices are starting off right away hearing the oral arguments on the closely watched Clean Water Act passed in 1972 to protect all waters of the United States. So when you hear the acronym WOTUS, that is to include streams, rivers, lakes, and wetlands. Business groups and home builders uh, argue that the legal confusion over the definition of WOTUS has created regulatory chaos for businesses and property owners. Delaney Agriculture cares about this because obviously there have been a lot of lawsuits in place already for potential contamination and runoff of the water. I didn't realize that the original case that started this were two homeowners in Idaho that were looking to be able to build on their piece of property near Idaho's Priest Lake, but the property is containing a wetland. And that meant that if it was determined, they would have to seek, the EPA states they would have to seek a permit and nearly $250,000 in consulting costs on top of that. So right now we have this case and uh, like I said, oral arguments being heard on what the actual definition is going to be. And of course, that will then trigger more observation out of the EPA and maybe trickle down to our listeners so it'll be interesting to see what the results come out of those hearings. It certainly will, Tanner, but it's also interesting to see what came out of the markets today. Do you have any other news before we hop into it here? Nope. Just the last little headline that we came about as we've talked about the pipelines for carbon here throughout the state. Uh, Iowa is in uh, election year to where are seeking new um, Secretary of Ag candidates. So we have existing incumbent Mike Nag and uh, Democratic challenger John Norwood. According to this article, they are on opposing sides of whether or not eminent domain should be permissible for the companies that are seeking to put those pipelines in place. So quite an interesting thing here locally as we look to uh, see what the midterms run out for here in Iowa. Well, Tanner, let's hop into the news then. It looks like today we had a little bit of recovery, especially in the soybean markets after Friday's bloodbath trading the bullet or excuse me, the bearish report that we got there. Corn pretty flat today, just three cents higher at the close here at 680 and three quarters. November new crop soybeans added nine and a quarter cent to close at 1374. December Chicago wheat down nine and a half cents today, even on the news of a lower and much smaller U.S. crop at 912. And in livestock today, Tanner, we saw mostly green across the screen. December live cattle added 97 and a half cents to close at a buck 4802. November feeder cattle added a dollar 42 and a half to close at 176.05. And December lean hogs added a dollar 50 to close at 77.72 and a half. Tanner, with that, let's kick it over to our conversation today with Matt Bennett. Listeners, Market Monday, as we stated here, Monday afternoon, going to jump into the combine with Matt Bennett, the co-founder of agmarket.net, to get some from-the-field market analysis. Welcome to the podcast again. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Well, let's start right into it. What crop are you combining today? And what did that crop do to the markets as far as shaping up to close out? Yeah, so we're actually, we started today actually in corn. Um, you know, these beans last week were causing us some issues trying to get them to test. Uh, they would uh, maybe get down close to 13%, but then uh, we had a lot of leaves and fought it, uh, you know, creeping along, trying to keep from uh, uh, plugging the combine. But, uh, you know, uh, we didn't want to plug the feeder house or anything. But, uh, you know, we decided, well, let's just move over to corn, give these things a couple, three days. And so uh, actually uh, switched over just uh, around lunchtime today uh, to go ahead and cut some beans. And right now they're testing, you know, uh, 12, 12 and So, it's uh, interesting that we only lost a couple of points since Thursday, but regardless, they're testing, so I'm not going to complain. But, you know, being settled higher on the day, which I guess in my opinion, after the uh, bloodbath that they took on Friday, makes a little sense maybe that you'd see a little bit of a bounce back in here. You know, I don't think that I can be wildly bullish uh, beans for a variety of reasons, but uh, by all means, uh, a little bit of a bounce back makes some sense to me. Well, Matt, certainly one of the reasons you're probably not very bullish soybeans has been the report that we got out on Friday, which was not favorable for soybeans here. Um, but it looks like today we really kind of chewed our way back through that news. Is the market done reacting to that report? You know, I think for the most part, it's one of those things where you have to ask yourself, Delaney, hey, you know, we were 274 uh, for the last year's carry out. So what's that mean? Well, that means this year's carry in has to go up. And so uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you, you start talking about a little bit different situation, not only because of carry out, uh, but I guess you got to ask yourself, what's what soybean yield so far looked like? And so, you know, through the expanse, uh, you know, the network that Ag Market and JSA uh, goes through, which, you know, it's, it's pretty pretty large network. We, we feel pretty confident that the USDA is about going to have to raise some of that um, that yield back up that they took away in September. So, you know, you went down to a 50 and a half yield and I'm not so sure that they're not going to have to go up, you know, a, a decent little jag. And so not only are you going to pick up a few carry in bushels, you're also, in my opinion, uh, susceptible to pick up some uh, extra production. And so uh, it remains to be seen, but I do think that that October report uh, could certainly be one in which uh, the landscape changes a little bit when we start talking about carry out and stocks to use estimates. Yeah, I didn't notice anything that you've seen too, too out of characteristic for the time of year, at least as far as the report goes. But something that we've been reporting on and monitoring on the Ag News Daily podcast has been the water levels in the Mississippi River. Is that going to potentially cause any issues for the grain markets as far as not being able to get them out into the ocean? Yeah, there's no question. So last week, just uh, in one day, Costco. You know, there in St. Louis actually lowered their bids for uh, for uh, beans by 60 cents, you know. And so uh, you saw last week, actually, bean basis at the river, uh, you know, softened by over a dollar uh, on the week. And, and that's simply a function of the fact that uh, you're not able to get as many beans uh, on a barge or corn on a barge as what you're able to whenever you can actually load them all the way. The draft levels just simply aren't there. Uh, it's been awfully dry, as we all know, in the West, and that seems to certainly spread. I mean, heck, right where I'm at in central Illinois, there's no doubt uh, we're plenty dry. And, you 
know, we weren't dry. I mean, we were wet all year long, but uh, we certainly dried out significantly. And uh, it's pretty much that way across the board. So uh, there's a lot of question marks. How's this grain going to move around? There's a lot of question marks on how the grain's going to get from the east, uh, eastern part of the Midwest to the western part of the Midwest when you look at some of those drought areas. But there's a lot of question marks. But I, as you suggest, this river situation is, is one that we cannot uh, rule out could have a pretty large impact because, you know, if we're, uh, we're going to have to invest significantly more in transportation to be able to get some of these beans into the export market, uh, there's no question it's going to change the landscape. On beans, we've been the cheapest beans in the world, whereas on corn, we've been the most expensive in the world. So two totally different situations. But I'll tell you what, you go to adding much more cost there, and it's certainly going to impact not only corn, but beans as well. So Matt, heading into the heart of planting season here, what are your key areas for support in both new crop corn and soybeans? Uh, my key areas for support, I guess, I mean, I would have to talk about soybeans more so than corn. I mean, right now, I guess, we, if you want to talk about corn, I feel pretty confident that it's going to be tough to get much under 650. I look for the uh, commercials uh, to have, want to have some ownership whenever you get, you know, into a level uh, bordering that, if not below. Uh, obviously, last week, we really, really took out some support, you know, whenever it comes to, for instance, November beans, you know, and so at what levels do you think you can you can come in and at least find, you know, some level of support? You know, you go back to uh, earlier in the summer and you took no beans down to that $13 level. And I know that's another, another nice round number. Uh, but quite frankly, uh, I think that you could go down and test that if you had more production and you raise the carryout on this October report. And so, you know, I know that sounds like a pretty decent jack lower, but I tell you, Delaney, I've been talking to producers for the last several weeks about one thing that really jumps out to me. If you do have an APH or better crop, as far as beans are concerned, and you run the math there, you know, I know that you didn't have quite the input cost, not even close is what you had invested in a corn crop. You can make a heck of a lot of money at whatever it might be. I mean, heck, Here's the deal. Less than two weeks ago in Indicator, there was a cash bean bid of $16 a bushel, okay? And today, uh, the bid at a nickel, to a dime, I believe it's a dime over, thirteen eighty-five. So just in uh, around 12 days, I believe we've lost over $2 in that quick ship bid. So you lost a ton of basis, and now you've lost a fair amount on the board uh, due to last week's debacle there on Friday. So uh, a person needs to be very cognizant of what's on the table, what kind of profit margins they have, and then you know be very willing to step in and defend those. Yeah, it, it's quite interesting. Now you look over at the livestock side of things, and September certainly had a bearish end to it there as we rolled out month. What is this typically what we see during this season, or or are we looking at some other factors that are underlying this? Well, there's just a whole lot going on, you know, whenever you start talking about cattle. You look at the cattle market, and anytime the equities really get hit and consumer confidence gets hit, it certainly weighs heavily, you know, upon your, your livestock situation, especially cattle. And so, you know, definite issues whenever we're talking about the Dow dropping like it has over the last couple of weeks. You know, you went down there to that 28,000 type level, and uh, certainly a lot of frustration for folks. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, um, you still have the fundamental situation in cattle as part of the liquidation of the herd, in my opinion, moving forward, puts you in that situation where as long as 
you don't see feed costs skyrocket. You should still see good profitability there. And I believe demand is going to stay uh, plenty strong, at least for the time being. The big question mark, once again, on demand is how does the consumer feel? You know, if the gas prices maybe potentially go back up, uh, we've seen some strength here in crude, you know, and you see obviously interest rates go up. So I do think there's a lot of angst out there. Uh, but fundamentally, I do think that the cattle market, if you hold it down long enough, it's going to be like trying to hold a ball underwater. I think it could come firing back maybe sometime into 23 before that happens. But I'm certainly not a long-term bearer when it comes to cattle. Matt, before we let you go, if folks have additional questions we didn't get time to get to during this call, how can they find you? Yeah, they can either go to agmarket.net there on the web, or you could go to agmarket.app on your uh, mobile device. Uh, You know, either one of those places you can get some pretty cool technology to help you you know, work on return on investment, things like that. And then, of course, you get our contact info and some research. So that would be the best place to be able to go and learn more about what we do. Fantastic. Well, Matt, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time and hopefully you have a safe and happy harvest. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always good, Delaney, to talk to Matt and especially fun knowing that he was sitting in a combine. So it was if I almost felt like I was sitting here with him as he was giving us his view of what the markets look like today. Absolutely, Tanner. But it's important that you should get out and actually go ride with people in the combine this year. Oh, I did plenty of that this weekend, at least with family. So <laughs> hopefully get out and see some customers this week. Bring them a nice little lunch. Do the least that I can to make their harvest progress go smooth. Absolutely. Well, we hope all of our listeners have a smooth harvest season as well. But folks, tune in to us every day as you're in the combine so you can stay in step with what's going on in the markets and the ag world. Tanner, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.